Yeah, welcome um, to the panel, um, the presentation of how to uh, explore long-term missions. So if you're like, I'm definitely going and I got questions, great. Uh, this is a place for you. And if you're like, um, maybe uh, let me ask some stuff or just hear other people's questions, then awesome. Welcome. Uh, we're really glad you're here. And so... Um, and yeah, I think we'll just pray and kick it off and go from there. Does that sound good? Cool. Okay. Oh, Father, thank you so much for uh, this time, uh, this weekend, to just set aside, um, to seek your face, uh, to hear from your spirit inside of us, um, and in uh, your spirit inside of your people. Um, thank you that we are family, and um, we get to learn from brothers and sisters that have um, gone before us or just gone into new grounds that we haven't been uh, in before. Um, so we thank you so very much. God, bring bring questions to our mind, our hearts, um, that uh, you want us to uh, hear from. Um, and yeah, give us eager hearts, Lord, to receive your word. And to be changed in Jesus' name, Amen. Awesome. So my name is David McVeigh, um, and I am um, kin to someone else here. Hey, we're not going to use last names. Oh, my bad. Uh, my name is David. Period. And um, it's nice to meet all you guys. Um, so, uh, without any other last names shared, um, yeah, we're going to do a few other things before that. Okay. So I'm John. Period. Um, and uh, we gave you, David gave you the general welcome. If you're a full-time a missionary or have been a full-time missionary, we want to thank you for coming. If you could raise your hand. So thank you guys for coming. I appreciate that. Thank you for serving. Blessings on you. Um, and so as uh, a little bit of warm-up here. I did want to uh, share that we, uh, I got a picture uh, yesterday about 5.30 in the exhibit area. And I wanted to just see if, if I caught any of you guys in this picture, if this feels familiar or not to you. And so, um, so it's a little bit overwhelming. Uh, I think there's, what, like over 150 exhibits. They're on the first and second floor of the Fellowship Hall, which is that direction. And then there's another building called the Student Block. And the, on the first floor, there are more agencies and exhibits is there as well. And so... Yeah, so you go up and down every aisle and talk to everybody. That's probably not going to work. So the best thing is to pray and ask the Lord to show you. Part of how he might do that is to log into your profile, and there's some organization recommendations that the computer has put together for you to consider looking at some different ones. And so we do want to invite you to uh, uh, consider that as a way to uh, find where to go. And so um, now we are getting to my favorite slide. And so my favorite slide is here. Uh, And there's an email address up there. Okay? So we're going to take some questions from the floor. David will be doing that part. Uh, But if you've got a question you want to get to us, email it. And then David and I are going to sort out those. And we're going to have our four panelists share some answers. And at 11 o'clock, we're going to divide into 19 different small groups in two other big rooms and have 
there's a missionary coach and about five or six of you in each group based on your interest here. So I'll explain that later, okay? Uh, but that's really uh, special. So we are going to stick with just our first names, um, especially for the recording. And I do want to encourage you that it may be good in general to keep your last name off the Internet uh, in case you ever want to go into a restricted access country. Or have your last name on the Internet, but don't tie it with maybe some of your passion. Okay? Um, so uh, we're going to... Um, okay, so I'm John, period. Uh, and let's see, what's that say? Uh, I spent some time in East Asia, just about three and a half months. Uh, I've got a couple of master's degrees, and I'm with the Inna's Image Family Medicine Residency. And you can see our website up there, so... Uh, I haven't changed. <laughs> oh, uh, but I am uh, still David, and I'm uh, finishing my residency at In His Image in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, yeah, I feel led to the Muslim world, um, so uh, we'll go from there. So the others are all going to introduce themselves for about two minutes. Tell them what you've done, what you're doing now. Okay. I think the slide says that my name's Aubrey, so that is true. Um, I am a nurse, and I served in Central Asia um, for about two years with the IMB. I was a journeyman. Um, so I've been back stateside for about three years now, and I'm now in Memphis, um, and I'm working at a hospital in school and then doing refugee ministry currently. Good morning. That was pretty lame. Let's try it one more time. Good morning. It's a very West African thing. So I spent uh, 10 years, I'm Kira, I spent 10 years in West Africa as a general surgeon training and discipling uh, surgeons. And uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago, moved back to the U.S. as chief medical officer for a group called PACS, uh, which is Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons. And so now I'm overseeing all the different training sites we have in Africa. Uh, But my heart is often in Africa or maybe always in Africa. I just physically live in the U.S. now. And let's try another five, Chris. Can try the wired one? Let's pass it to you. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Uh, my name is Chris, and um, I'm a family medicine physician, educator who lived and worked in South China for about 10 years. Um, we started a, a small family medicine training program there and did uh, clinical training as well as medical mentoring and discipleship. Uh, during our time there, um, married to my beautiful wife, Annette, who is in the second row, and, um, and did not choose the white socks with the brown shoes today. She wants everyone to know that because I'm sitting, <coughs> sitting up on stage. Um, but, uh, and I came, <laughs> sorry, um, came back to the U.S. about five years ago um, and am now the current associate program director at In His Image in Tulsa. Assalamu alaikum. Got to do something different than good morning, right? Do anyone know how to respond to that? Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Shukran. All right. I'm Jill, and I lived in North Africa. Um, my, I, along with my husband and now four kids, um, we launched and served in a physical therapy center. So that's what we did in the medical capacity and loving those families and children and all of that. So we are now back. We were there for eight years. We are now back and actually live in Tulsa. And I get the privilege to be the medical mobilization coordinator for Frontiers. So we have a a desire to launch medical professionals to make disciples in the Muslim world. Yes. Sorry. 
Taiwan. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, awesome. So uh, this is the time when you get to start asking questions. So um, if you're more introverted, you could email the email, and that's totally good. Email to make sure it's working. Okay, at least in one. Okay, um, and then if you're more extroverted, you can just like raise your hand and be like, "Yo, I got a question." So um, essentially, it's what we're doing. So uh, okay, anybody have a question? That's awesome. Yeah, so I'll just repeat it real quick. Um, When you're on the field, what does the life uh, balance look like with working in the clinic as well as taking care of family and discipleship included? Kind of those, those three plus. Yeah, happy to talk a little bit about that. So for the 10 years that we were in Gabon, we did, I did surgical training. So there's kind of a natural outflow of discipleship. And the one phrase I think that I would respond to the aspect of discipleship is don't do anything alone. Bring somebody with you. So you may think of discipleship as something you do outside of where you're at, but discipleship is something that you will do as you live. Most of my graduates were more interested in telling me how they watched my family work than they were about the things I taught them in surgery. Um, that's what they were thankful for. So that would be one comment about discipleship is it's, it's all the time. Don't just think it's one place. It's all the time. And bring people with you. And that starts with your family. So in that work-life balance, you bring your family along with all those things. Your, your family's called to the mission field, not just you. And so if you're going, I would really encourage you that there, you take them to the hospital if you have kids. You engage them in other ministries that you're doing. When you go to do a discipleship thing and you invite the resident or whoever it is you're taking along with you, bring your kids too, um, or bring your spouse or whatever. It's Do the things together as a family and expect it to happen that way. That's, that's really where the, the real work of discipleship happens. It's not about the medical work. Uh, medical work is good. In terms of life balance with the discipling and the medical work, uh, be intentional about setting up processes and then listen to the people who tell you, doctor, the day is done and you need to go home. And not say, well, but there's five more patients. No, those five more patients we've taken care of. The, the biggest factor that I've seen as I've traveled to other places is that they, you will set up a process that we're going to see this many patients. And then you, we as healthcare workers make exceptions to that all the time. And it's the exceptions that will eventually wear you down. And they're not things that people have thrust upon us often. It's us the ones saying, oh, but this person is just a little too sick. I really need to go. No, you you set up the process. Somebody else is supposed to take care of that. So respect that. Uh, We tend to be our own worst enemies in that. Yeah, and I'd just share one story similar to what Kira is saying. So we had uh, residents with us all the time, and um, they became our kids' aunts and uncles, and were often there for holidays, and they were incorporated into what we were doing. Um, And so there was a very natural blending of family, but there was also a need for for boundaries and for making sure that that, um, 
those important relationships. And if you go with a spouse, remember that absolutely is your first and foremost primary relationship. And that seems to be a place where we tend to neglect, perhaps. Um, and then the, the family situation, just one story. So we met a couple at our church one morning, and uh, we were being introduced to them. And they said, oh, you know, this is so-and-so. And they said, yeah, we... we um, we know you. We know your family. We've seen your family. And we said, oh, really? And they said, oh, yeah, we, we actually followed you and sat beside you at a restaurant one time just to watch and listen to your family and the way, <laughs> the way that you interacted with your children. And we're like, oh, great. That's wonderful. <laughs> was that a day when I was being a horrible dad? Or, you know, so uh, you, are, you definitely are being uh, observed. And, and that's, that's actually what the Bible says our our job is, right, to be a, a city on a hill. So, um, but that's a great question. And generally, we'll have two answers per question, but if somebody needs to jump into the third one, we're okay. Yeah, great question. Yes, sir. Uh, now, I want to know the practical ways of entering into a close or restricted area like the Muslim environment. And the ways you can reach out to them because in certain environments you are not allowed to meet people face to face and share Christ with them. So how do you That's good. So for the question or for the recording, um, the question is how do you get into closed access countries um, and then how do you share the gospel when, when you're there? And I'll add the PS from Elizabeth. Um, so we can answer maybe both at the same time. Um, what does it look like to be a part-time healthcare worker, in her case she's a nurse, and a mobilizer church planter on the field in a Muslim context? Okay, my mind is going two totally different ways <laughs> with that. Can I answer this one first? Okay. Um, I think that it looks different in every situation, and I'm not trying to give a, a coined answer, but I feel like we have to be creative and think outside of, like, it depends on what your even your um, training is in. If you're a physician, it's one direction. If you're, you know, we went in and found physical therapy because you couldn't go in and practice as a physician where we were, but we went and just exploring on a trip and just a, and visiting because we could get a... Uh, tourist visa and just went and started asking in the cafes in the things so it's a matter of discovering what their needs are and then discovering how we can serve them if we come in this is my agenda like we're not even physical therapists my husband and I I'm a business background I have a finance degree and he was a medic but it was just a matter of we kept hearing over and over and like okay this is what we need so then we recruited therapists we recruited a team around that concept because we were welcomed in automatically. So if you're a physician wanting to go practice in this way, and that's what I do, is like finding out who you are, what your skills are, and then where the needs are. If you're wanting a specific close country, well, then you do your training and your team based around that. There's different aspects to that. But I think it's the idea of if you're going to go visit, say the king is coming to town, and everyone's going to go see him. They're all going to go to the procession the way that they know he's going to enter. Like, the flags are all going to be there. Everybody, you don't have a king in this country. So it's different when um, we have a president. Say the president's coming to town. (laughs) 
There's one way, but there's not only one way to get to interact. You can go other routes in the city. There's other routes in our lives. We don't have to go the one way that we always thought that we have to go. Um, into the, we see the door is closed, and we've got to go knock on the door. And when are we going to get in? I think God is showing us, okay, there's these other opportunities. Um, and that's where I love the beauty of people that have had experiences, like coming to here where we work together. It's a God's team approach. What's worked for you, what hasn't worked for you. Um, and that's why we have to have a, a holistic idea of the body to work together because God doesn't see it as closed. <laughs> it's, it's just creative ways that God is working. God is calling these people. It's not us coming in as the rescuer. Jesus is the rescuer. He's their savior. Um, we just want to be able to be able to present him. Anybody else want to answer that one? Um, I can speak just from my personal experience, but from the the practicality of it, I entered country through an NGO, so a non-government affiliated agency, um, and so the office was already set up that had been already set up, and then in this per- particular situation, this office had all different projects in the in the community, and so. There were projects like well digging and, you know, training and tailoring and all these kind of things. When I entered in, there was no medical project. And so myself, along with a um, family med doctor, um, a female, we started a medical project, um, which was, you know, a long process. Um, But just from a practicality speaking, yeah, if I had applied for a missionary visa... I certainly would not have gotten into the country, but I may have gotten killed in the process. So I had a um, like a work visa, and I was there as a humanitarian aid relief worker. Um, and so that was my kind of my platform, and then from there I could do um, the work along with the ministry. I think, what was the second question? Was that like how to combine both of them? I think that was, yeah. Okay. Full-time, 80 hours yes. a week, or do you have some time to yeah. reach out to friends? Mm-hmm. So, um, and this kind of relates, I think, with the first question, too, of, like, the, the work-life balance. But I honestly looked for, and we created a project where it, was, it wasn't either or. Um, it was both and. And so work was ministry, and ministry was work. Um, and that may not always be the case, you know, depending on where you are. Um, we did, it was more community health. Um, which I've found that in general community health is a little bit easier to do the both and. Um, but that's just my personal experience. But um, we were in the community. We did like a prenatal health um, project. That's what the Ministry of Health was wanting at the time. Um, and so that allowed us to do um, kind of health screenings and then get into homes of the locals. And so within the home, behind a closed door, we're able to not only assess physical needs, but also spiritual needs as well. Um, so for me, it looks like doing both and, um, and I got to pretty much pray with every single person that I talked to. Um, so that's kind of what my personal experience look, looks like. But. That was in a Muslim context. Yes, that was in a Muslim context, yeah. So I guess the, um, the other part of that was I, I worked about three to four days a week and then tried to have... Uh, a weekday off during the week that I could invite neighbors over and visit. So that's what my schedule looks like. Thank you. Um, I suspect a lot of people 
Excellent. So the question is, how do you translate the skills that you've gained here in the States and maybe even gotten pretty good at to the context overseas that you'll be in? So that's a really good question. And um, <clears throat> because I'm in training now, I mean, I train residents now, and a lot of those folks want to go overseas full time. And I, I would say that there's a real balance to be found there because I've seen both the let's stay and train you know, to the top of my field and maybe even beyond um, and then maybe never go or, or delay that process so long that it becomes difficult then to go. There's a certain momentum that develops regardless of the direction we go versus going without any training. I would say in family medicine, um, you know, you're, go- you're going to have everything you need to be able to do basic primary care. When I left, I... I was I aired on the other side, so I was full spectrum OB, hospital, ICU, etc. And when I ended up in Macau, the first thing I needed to know was how to clean a, colon, a colonoscope, and um, which is just the example to me of there is no way that you will know what you need to know. And so, I mean, who in this room knows how to clean a colonoscope? That was the first thing I had to know. Yeah. <laughs> we needed Kier, a consult from Kier. Who wants to know how to <laughs> Who wants to know? <laughs> Next year, you'll offer. Yeah, so, so be, just be really careful about getting on the kind of the, into that trap of I don't have enough training. You, you already have way beyond the level of training of most of the people you're going to be asked to teach, actually. And so, and you are a lifelong learner. You've learned how to teach yourself. And so when you go and you find out you need to clean a colonoscope, you can quickly learn how to do that. So don't get trapped in that. That's good. So my uh, husband and I are both doctors. We have a wonderful ministry here, helping send people, support people. Yet we feel God leading us to go ourselves. And when, uh, and how do I know when? So you're married. How did you know when to get married? And how did you know when to propose? Yeah, it's not an easy answer, right? When, when do you know is the right time? And it's almost the same question with any big decision in life, right? There's no right time. There's always a reason that you should have done it a year ago, and there's always a reason that you should wait five more. Um, for us personally, it became a question of we know God has us on this path. We need to pursue the things that will take us to the mission field until the doors are closed, not just wait for them to come to us, pursue them. And so as we pursued those different things that were, would take us to the mission field, whether that was preparing or whether that uh, was soliciting a, mis- a mission organization or a setting organization, filling out that application that is, well, okay, it's too long, but it's long. They're all long, right? 
Whatever it was, we just did the next step. And we kept doing the next thing. And eventually we were there. We, we took a short-term trip. Probably we're in a similar place to you. We went to the place we thought we might go. We were waiting for those neon lights in the sky. God didn't do that for us. But what he did say is, take the next step. And that next step resulted in the next step and the next step until the doors are closed. And they never closed for us, so we ended up on the mission field. So I, I don't think there's, an, there's no easy answer for it. It's the right time other than maybe now. Now is the time to do the next thing. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, and I would just, I would just echo everything that Kier said. I think for us, um, it was a story, so it was a, it was a progression from medical school all the way through residency, and, and it was watching and seeing the way God unfolded things. I would say that God, you know, what is that little analogy? He steers a car that's moving forward a lot easier than if you're just sitting still. So that's kind of what Kier is, is saying, is sort of as you're, as you're going, um, and I would also say in my own heart, the momentum is always to stay, at least for me. And so overcoming that inertia is really, um, is, is sometimes hard. And then the last thing I would say is um, consider a, a, a more intermediate term kind of thing. Maybe if that's what God leads you to, maybe a year or two. It's not that long. And there are some, there are some programs out there that will cover, you know, or, or help you out for those first couple of years. For me, getting out of the West and just getting my heart and head out of the grind of U.S. medicine just is a sort of a clarity that comes. Um, you know, even spiritually, I think there's just an openness that that gave us a lot of clarity when we were when we were actually going and we were out there. So, um, so that's the only other. That's good. I'll just say personally, my wife is also a physician, and we feel led to go and. Uh, we also recognize that sometimes it takes like two years if you start a relationship with an agency to actually be sent by them. So, yeah, we just feel like we're just going to take the first step and, and, and then they come around you and they support you and they also kind of join you in that, in that experience of, of sensing what's leading and timing. I was just going to add that it's, it's very easy to say I can support people to go. Uh, I'm a doctor. I can make some money here and pay for that. And when people ask me what Africa needs, I'll just take that as the example. That's my context. Um, my answer is they need you. They don't need your money. We've sent plenty of money to the continent of Africa. They need you. Amen. Um, let's see, I think she had Okay, cool. So kind of the reverse question almost. Um, if you feel like you're in a position where um, you're asked to do something above your medical training, perhaps, or other training, what do you do? Um, so 
yeah, as a nurse, um, where I was, the role of nurse is pretty much janitor, um, which, I mean, I have actually found that to be true in most contexts. So, like, if you say you're a nurse, they're like, oh. Um, and so I, I actually, like, was helping train doctors. Um, and so there was even just a, a language barrier of, like, the translation from an English nurse to, like, the nurse that they use, it wasn't even a good translation. So they called me doctor, which was actually probably more appropriate, um, being that I was teaching doctors how to check a blood pressure. Um, So there's kind of that, too, of just, like, different roles in different countries. So I think it's important to have the cultural context clues to know, okay, if I say I'm a nurse, what does that mean to the people that I'm saying it to? Um, So, but I was often, yeah, as a doctor, (laughs) I was often asked many, many questions and, you know, regarding, like, diagnosing and treatment and all these kind of things that I had no training whatsoever to do. And so I think that for me it was um, finding other expats in the community that I could call on and say, like, hey, I got this situation. What do you think I should do? Um, And just knowing you know, who you can ask. Um, And then also there's really great internet resources, like up-to-date and all those types of things that are very, very nice. Um, And so, like, utilizing those um, resources then to also be able to provide. Um, But I think that, yeah, it it, it is a balance of knowing your limits, um, but also living out in faith, trusting that God will equip you to do the work that he's called you to do. Um, and so living by faith, but then also not, yeah, not being stupid in the, in the way you take care of people, too. I think it's hard when we, we feel like we have this training, we're going in, we're going to help them. You see the need, and you have maybe knowledge or skills and you can try to impart that, but they take it and use it as they want. You know, we would have kids come into the ther- therapy center with wounds because the bags, the, you know, Walmart bags, they didn't have Walmart, but the plastic bags had been tied around because they didn't have the money for diapers. So they just had these cuts, and then they get septic, and the kids die just because they tied the bag too tight. And you're like, oh, we were just telling you to clean that, you know, teaching them wound care. But instead they took the soured butter and smeared it all over them because that's what their grandma had taught them. So sometimes it's really hard to know what our capacity is, like of knowledge and of imparting that, and to know that we come because Jesus asked us to come. We come in obedience to the Lord. We're not going to be their rescuer and their savior, and we're not, even if we have all of this knowledge and training, we're not going to solve the issues that are in front of us. And so I think we have to come to terms with that, that Every single person in front of us needs to be treated as a life that is valuable to the Lord. And, and we ask for wisdom. We ask for um, clarity of communicating that. But that then isn't on us. You know, as we had patients die, it was, it's so hard. I think we have to learn and be okay with the reality. You guys are getting trained in, that, in a medical capacity, but when their whole family is with you then and you have to go to the funeral and there's weeping and weeping for days like ugh, like what do you do with that um 
to really trust that the Lord is working. We come for eternal impact. You know, this one little boy may die, but then we have access to the entire family. And whole families came to faith because of that. Um, So we can't limit it to as well, but acknowledge the reality of the difficulty of that. That's good. Um, One of the email questions, if still in training, example, medical school, or other school, uh, how can you prepare for a long-term involvement or career on the international mission field starting now? Um, So I think I mentioned earlier that I'm doing refugee ministry right now. Um, And so I've become very passionate about it. But the nations and the unreached people have come to us. Um, And so they are probably where you live if you seek them out. Um, and that's just one small way. I mean, I think, like, even before that, it's it's your daily abiding in Christ, um, growing in the Lord, being part of a community, sharing the gospel with your neighbors or your classmates or your patients, or, I mean, doing all of that, all of those things now. Um, but then especially, to you can kind of go one step further and seek out international friends um, because they, they are... Here, the unreached people have come to us. So. And, uh, you are even a part of a team in your city that meets weekly to reach these exact people um, from unreached nations here. Uh, it's really, really cool. Yeah, I, I would say if we look at it the way, what are the most common things that people leave the field? So what makes them, quote, unsuccessful, if we could say it that way? And I'm not sure that's a fair statement. But it's usually a team, so it's related to how do you work with others. So get to know yourself and how you function on a team and learn to work on a team now. Put yourself in those uncomfortable positions, maybe in leadership that you're not used to, or put yourself in, un, in submission under somebody else if you're the one who tends to take charge and learn those things about yourself now. I would say that's very important. And then cross-cultural things are the other aspect, right? So how do you learn and understand cross-cultural things? I don't think anybody I've known has left the mission field because they didn't know how to treat diarrhea. So it's not the medical things, although that's what stresses us out because we're medical people. That's not why anybody leaves the, medical, leaves the mission field. You leave because of team dynamics and other stressors. So prepare yourself now to handle that. And one of them is the cross-cultural things. Find somebody who is not your culture and go be with them and figure out how it works. Just one little story. We encouraged some friends of ours to do that. They went to have dinner with this family and they brought applesauce. And this family took the applesauce and served it as a sauce on top of other food because... It's a sauce after all, right? It's apple sauce. So they were, they were not American, but it was a cultural idea or a, a language issue that opened their eyes that they're not on the mission field yet, but they had an experience that will prepare them for the mission field. But they had to choose to go and befriend somebody who is not from their culture. So if you are going solo, not organization, uh, what strategies can you do to set things up that it would go well? 
So I'm just going to say going solo is a bad idea. I mean, I, I just I just don't think, <clears throat> you know, and, and I'm probably the closest one to that because I forced in his image to become a sending agency so they would send us as their first missionaries. And so, um, I mean, really, you can ask John McVeigh. We really uh, started it because we demanded that in his image send us. So, uh, but my that, point that's is... That's John, period. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, so, yeah, I just don't think... I think especially if, if, we've, if we're looking at the, un, uh, the unfinished task and we're looking at the places on the planet that have yet to be reached and the places that we're talking about, you're, you are setting yourself up for... Not just failure, but failure on a scale that you've never seen with lots of other people involved if you go by yourself. So I just, that's where I'd leave it for me. Yeah, I would agree completely, and I'd give you the biblical reference. Jesus sent him out two by two. He didn't send anybody out alone. And additionally, he also said to his disciples, they'll know you're my followers by your love for one another. If there's no other follower there, you can't demonstrate that love for anybody else that's a follower of Jesus. You can't. Because they're not there. So I, I, would, I would agree with Chris. You have to be very careful. You have to know that God has called you to that. Because it's something that's unusual and certainly not typical of what we see in Scripture. Um, and I personally will just add, like, man, I am totally a go-getter type of person. Um, but I think question would be good to ask, like, um, why is it that I want to go alone? even, Or why is it that I just want to get a few friends and go um, and then maybe asking the agencies, what is it that you offer, you know, and just learning more in that regard. Uh, okay. okay. We've got more questions here in the big room, and in a few minutes we're going to a smaller room. But I want to tell you a resource where you can get even more answers. And so there's a website, askamissionary.com, askamissionary.com, and over 20 years that, um, okay, me, uh, I've, I've gathered uh, questions from <laughs> aspiring missionaries, and I've gathered answers for full-time missionaries around the world. And there's like 150 questions and like about 700 answers. Each question usually has two or three answers. And so we've got a lot on there uh, for you. And for example, uh, Jacob, you asked, how could a family with young children make it? We've got some answers from that uh, for you already, Jacob, so you can kind of check that out. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, I think, you know, how do you get started? There's questions about training uh, that are on there. Um, just uh, uh, one thing is like, hey, I'm interested in healthcare, but I'm undergrad. What, what field do I pick? Or I'm in med school. What specialty do I do? Um, so we've got answers from quite a variety of people on that. Let's see. I'm trying to make sure who else's answers we've got online there. Um, and so um, I think it's uh, – so there's a lot of good stuff, so hold on to that. Um, I think this will be uh, – I think uh, – yeah, so that's a resource for you. You can write it down, askthemissionary.com. And uh, let's see, what else do we have? Oh, let me tell you about the small groups we're going to. Here's what um, some people said last year about the small group. My group leader was great and answered a lot of questions that I had. Uh, another person said, my leader did a great job being open and honest about his or her experiences. So we're going to break here in a few minutes. 
but let me challenge you to go on and go to the small group. You may not, maybe a little bit too introverted. Ah, do I want to go with a group of five other people? I don't know. The answer is yes. Okay, thank you. I heard that. I heard that answer. Um, so let me tell you about how it's going to work because I'm going to slip out with a few people and get some things ready so that we're ready for you. Okay. But as you, uh, we want you to exit when we do, not now. David will tell you when it's time because we've got more answers coming here. But we want to have you exit through the back, either of the two back doors that are closest to the atrium. Uh, and when you exit there, we want you to leave maybe on a chair or table uh, there your, your white evaluation sheet about the first hour. So, uh, so that's Chris is going to be at that door and uh, our other brother is going to be at the middle door. Okay, so you're going to leave that on a chair there. Um, and then, uh, oh, and then they're going to... Yeah, yeah, you're going to bring it and put it on a chair right next to where they're standing. Can we do that? Um, so uh, you'll just put it on a chair or table near them. So you drop off. So the white sheet is one of your two tickets to get out the door, okay? They're going to hand you a yellow sheet, which is going to tell you which, where the small groups are, okay? Because you want the yellow sheet to figure out where to go. And the yellow sheet is really a little map here. Uh, and it's going to direct you uh, to, okay, well, we'll keep going here. Here's, here's the yellow sheet, okay? Um, and you're going to go out the door and make a sharp left and go in front of the chapel. So we're kind of like up here. You guys with me? We're going to go down this hallway in the atrium. We're going to go in front of the chapel. And then we're going to go to uh, different doors here. So uh, if you're interested in the group that's in room 209, you're going to go there. I'll tell you how to pick which room to go to. Okay, so there's eight doors to go to. So it's like 209A, 209B, 207A, and then down the hallway. So you'll get the yellow sheet with the map, so you don't have to write write down the map. I need an agency because they will help you So agencies help you navigate complicated transitions, okay? And then, uh, and then when you go to the right door, you'll get a slip, and the slip will say something like, and you'll get to pick the group here, but this is like, hey, if you're single heading toward full-time missions, um, you'll go in that door, and that will be door 200A, and you'll get a slip that says like table one or table two or table three, and you go to that table. So that's how we're going to kind of divide up the groups. Uh, so that little white slip is your entry into that room, and that's a little ticket there. Um, and then before your small group finishes, you're going to take a couple of minutes and do a quick online survey, which is on the back of that little white ticket. At the end of the evaluation, you can also sign up for a, a couple of free newsletters to encourage you on the journey into full-time missions. And uh, this is actually what the... Uh, the back of the slip has, and so it'll have that website. So you don't need that right now. That's part of that ticket for you. And then uh, the final slide that I have here is uh, going to show you that there's a lot of different groups that you can go to. You could, If you're interested in nursing, you could go to one of the groups on nursing, whether you're exploring or already heading to full-time missions. If you're a couple, both in healthcare. care. Uh, we have some groups for, you know, the two-dot couple back there. Uh, or two nurse couple, you're single, you're exploring, hey, do I even want to go full-time? That's okay. Single, you've already decided, but you're heading. 
You're a couple without kids, so you want to explore whether to consider full-time. You've got a couple without kids. You're already heading there. You've got questions. couple with kids, exploring whether to consider. couple with kids heading towards full-time missions. And so uh, I'm going to leave this slide up on the screen. And, uh, but when you leave, this yellow sheet has both the little map and it has this list of you go to one of these eight doors. So how am I doing? Should I explain that better? Anybody brave enough to try it? Yeah, you're, the answer is yes. Yes, Chris. So those are like quick breaks, but we're not leaving yet, okay? Uh, those are quick breaks, but our small groups are going to begin pretty quick. So this is not like when David says you get to slip out, you, you, you walk out the back and, and don't linger here very long, okay? So I think I've got that. And uh, by the way, you can, you know, some people may qualify for two or three of these groups. So you just pick whichever one you want. Like you could be two married nurses, and you could, with kids, and you could pick any one of these groups, okay? Um, I like nurses. I get to put my wife to nursing school. Um, I like docs, too. I'll put my son through uh, medical school. Sorry I didn't pay for any of it. No, no, sorry about that. That's, uh, that's between you and the Lord and, and uh, your wife getting connected with medicine. Okay, uh, so, um, so I think that's my part. Now, I've got some people here that are going to lead the small groups. And so if you're one of those people, I've already lined it up with you, and then Caleb's also helping me. And so we're going to slip out right now and get things ready. The rest of you are going to stay with David. And so, uh, and David, you can take questions from here or there. Uh, any email questions, we will try to if, – if I don't already have it on askmissionary.com, I'll get answers for you, okay, and get those questions posted. So. I'm slipping out. You guys have to stay, but you know where to go to, and you know which rooms to go to. So thank you, Annette. Awesome. So essentially, they're just going to get everything set up for you, and then we'll we'll go when it's time. So awesome. Uh, okay, let's keep doing questions. Yes, sir. So what kind of factors did you guys consider um, when you were trying to decide where in the world you wanted to be missionaries, um, and what factors do you kind of wish you had considered now that you're there? It's a great question. What factors did you consider when you were thinking about where to go? And then now that you're back, what factors do you wish you considered before you left? Specifically on location, I think. Has everybody heard uh, Chuck Fielding's thing on Priority 15 and the unfinished task? So it's happening at 1 o'clock, so everyone should go and hear uh, Chuck Fielding. He's funny. And he did not pay me to endorse him from the front. But um, I think there's a couple of different things I think of. One is, again, that, that sort of story. So for us, um, Asia was always part of our kind of our history as we went through college and then medical school. And we, we, we went a lot. So we went a lot on short term. And, and again, I would say the going really does clarify. Even if, you're, even if you don't go to the place that God eventually 
has for you, it, it, he will show you this is not the place. So this doesn't really match with, you know, whatever I'm calling you to do. And so that he definitely did that for us in Asia. Um, but then, again, I, I always think I start off with, with sort of thinking it through strategically. And that's where I think looking at like what Chuck is presenting at one and sort of the priority 15 and where, where are those countries where there really is not one believer, one person you know, one church and, and sort of strategically thinking about that, but then praying and, and asking the Lord and then trusting that he's going he's gonna to show you. I, you know, I, I don't know, but I think, I think going for us was, was more important and, and seeing the way that he directed as, as we went. So ours was a little different. We weren't called to a place. We were car- called to a task. So I felt called to training and discipleship. Not every place is going to allow that as a surgeon. So I'm not going to go to the middle of Congo where there's not a, a there's a clinic and no doctor and try to start something. By the time I get to training and discipleship of surgeons, I'm going to be retired. I'm never going to retire, but I'll be probably leaving Congo. So you may get called to a place or a people group, but you also may be called to a specific task, and that would be then opening. And some people, I had a vision, I had a dream. God called, me, I saw this place. That wasn't by chance. God did that for you. He doesn't do it for everybody. He didn't do it for me, but maybe he did it for you. So there's a lot of different ways to know where to go. It's not just a people group. It could be a task as well. I think acknowledging, sorry, I'm adding to the second one, but acknowledging who you are and asking those questions of what do I need, what resonates with me. I just, so as a mobilizer, that's what I do is ask questions because we have to get to the answer of that because you're going to thrive the best and do ministry the best when you are you and you could be you thriving in a lot of different places god is the god of the world so there's not one right answer that you have to say yes to because the decisions aren't going to get easier like when you when you come off the field and how do you do this and what do you pursue so if we're trying to make the right decision you will be paralyzed and not ever make a decision That's good. Uh, some people are called to a specific team, and then that team chooses together, which is also a sweet option. Um, yes, ma'am? How do you assess that your whatever work you do is actually working? So, if you come into a dynamic where you might have a power dynamic of you're offering something they don't have, how do you assess that you're doing good work? Because just because you have good, like a good foundation of working hard, it doesn't mean it has the consequences that you have, good ones. So how do you assess whether what you're doing is successful and yeah, accomplishing what you set out to do when you showed up? This morning was good. The big session. Find someone with a background in public health and get them on your team. No. Um, I mean, I think there's, like, practical things that you can measure, like, quantitatively, qualitatively. You can do evaluations and those kind of things. And, like, it depends on what you're doing. In an NGO context, like, there's actually um, people that would come out and, like, do assessments from, like, from the medical side of, you know, are we doing what we want to be doing? And sometimes if you're doing, like, project work, 
there's funding, there's grant money, and so you're actually having to, you know, do evaluations in order to send back to the to those that are providing the funds. So that's kind of my experience from a project NGO standpoint. Um, but I think that it's a your question's a really good question because I, I've seen often um, sometimes the work suffers because we want to accomplish our own agenda. Or even the health work suffers because we want to, we also want to do discipleship. So we do a poor job of community health, but we're doing discipleship. So it's, it is hard. It's really, really hard to do both. Um, but I, so it's a good question. Continue asking the question. Um, and really just, just prayer, you know, asking the Lord to lead and to guide you. And, but being willing to evaluate and to say, is what we're doing working? Um, sometimes we like to have control over things, and we think that our way is best, and so we're not open to people saying, hey, this isn't working, or asking locals, is this working? And when they say no, being humble and willing to say, okay, let's change. Let's do something else. Um, but, yeah, it's a good, really good question. I think having set up the parameters of inviting people in to ask those hard questions and help you assess. Because when you're in the moment, it's hard to assess. Not only if you're assessing your project or your medical aspect of it, you might be dealing with all kinds of other family or emotional things yourself. So your assessment is skewed. So, And instead of, you won't get to that point when you need assessment, you don't know how to reach out or who to reach out to. So having somebody, not somebody, a team of people that understand you ahead of time that going are you welcome in to asking those hard questions and creating the time and space it's kind of like in a in a marriage you have the time out times because life is never going to slow down your kids are always going to be crazy you have to have people helping you speak into that so on all levels it's important to do that it's good so even our own personal assessments might be skewed either way whether we're doing a horrible job or maybe we actually are doing an okay job but we just don't know um, that's good. Okay, a question from Morgan was, my heart aches to do missions, but I don't know if it's the Lord that gave it to me or my own desire. How do you discern your passion slash desire for missions was from the Lord and not your own? Uh, if your heart aches for missions, it's the Lord. Full stop. Uh, go and make disciples of some of the people groups. Oh, wait, no, I missed something. <laughs> go make disciples. Yeah, and then um, there can be a pride issue there, though, that the Lord does want to work on. So being open to him and humbling you, which he wants to do wherever you are, whatever you're doing, he wants to humble you, okay? So don't let that distract you from his heart for the world. Um, excellent. Another question? Yes, sir. Really good question. Okay, how important is language mastery for, I'll just, sorry, I cut you off, <laughs> for the work that you're called to do? So, uh, I would say it's, it's a necessity, really. And, and having been there and, and struggled with it, um, you know, for, for China, it's two years minimum, and you lose, you lose all of your medical knowledge and skills during that two years. 
the, the challenge for medical people is uh, you don't lose it, she said. I lost it. She doesn't lose it. But <laughs> it went dormant for two years. So uh, it, it, it really, because when you go in as a medical person, there's, you're going to be drawn in and, and you're going to be part of the, of the drawing of yourself because you will tell yourself there's no one else to take care of this sick person and so I can't do language today and, and, and sometimes that's okay and it's just a necessity but, but like the more you don't do language, the more isolated you stay both as an individual and as a family and it, it limits everything that you do from that point on. Um, and so, and I don't know, this is true for most, most of the missionaries that I worked with in China, those who didn't do language wished that they had had that, that commitment on the front end. I think that's a I think you have to recognize there is a limit. You will never master a second language. So you do have to at some point just go. Uh, so just to keep that in context, and you ask the question in a way that it almost sounds like it's, an, it's a necessary evil or something. It's not. It's part of the process of God preparing you to go and do this work. Because even in learning a language, you learn culture. And some of your preconceived ideas get thrown out the window. And so it's a process. It's not just learning words to say. It's learning how to interact with the people that you're trying to minister to. <laughs> It's good. I spent a month in Egypt, and um, there was a missionary couple that had been there for six years, and they knew the language less than someone who had been there six months who was fully focused on language. And they were just so... Their, their hearts burned to be able to communicate the gospel in a deep level with the people that they loved for six years. Um, and so I would even challenge you to maybe consider really choosing an agency that forces you to do the two years um, if you really want to communicate the gospel at a deep level with deep friendships. Um, okay, question. Yes, sir. Could you comment a little more on the interpersonal conflicts? Just because I've known a lot of people who've come back from the field and feeling very confused. And I know God's sovereign, but there is a little bit of trepidation when you're planning to go long term and you're, you know, if the team dynamics don't work out and all this kind of stuff of just... How do you approach that going forward to try to help make sure that the team is strong? Excellent. So this will be our last question, and it's a really good one, of how do you approach um, team conflict, and even maybe how do you prepare for it? It's not easy. Uh, it's the, the analogy is if you lived and worked and celebrated every holiday with your coworkers, that's the mission field. But you don't do that with any of your coworkers here. You go home at night, and they're not there. Uh, you don't have a prayer time with the same people that you just worked with all day. Honesty is extremely important to navigating that. Giving your teammates the benefit of the doubt, thinking the best of them, and choosing that. It's easy to blame our teammates. It's harder to blame the culture, because then it seems like you failed as a missionary after all. Isn't that why you went there, to minister to those people? If they're the reason you left then, like, what happened to you? But we, it's acceptable to say it's the team. So I do think, I will add, that I don't think it's always the team. I think they're the scapegoat sometimes. Because it's harder to say, I just couldn't fit in this culture. I think it's about 2% of Americans can live long-term somewhere else in another culture. That's a pretty small percentage. Um, so just recognizing those things. No team is perfect. No family is perfect. 
Um, and you just have to spend the time to work on that. And remember that your, your ministry and your witness to the people that you're ministering among is probably more dependent on how you interact with your team, however you define that team, than it is on you telling them Jesus died for you. They're watching you. And if you treat your teammates like garbage and you guys don't interact well, who wants to be a part of that? And so it is extremely important and dedicate the time to your team just like you're going to dedicate to your ministry. You call your nurture your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, and your team. Then the ministry happens. If you get the ministry in front of that, that's when you get a lot of problems with team dynamics because everybody's in their silo, more focused on their ministry. And unfortunately, it undermines the whole point of being there. Sorry, that was a pretty strong statement, but that's good. I'm pretty passionate about that one. Thanks for sharing. Um, Aubrey, would you lead us in prayer to kind of close up the first hour? God, we just we thank you for this time that you've given us. And we thank you for those that are in the room. And God, we know that our heart to see all people come to know you, Lord, that that does come from you. God, we thank you, Lord, that that is your heart. And so, God, I know that those of us that are here, Lord, we have maybe lots of questions, concerns, fears. Um, God, you know each of us personally. Lord, you know our stories. Lord, you know where we're coming from. Um, But you also have great plans for us. And, um, God, we just want to be part of your work. And we want to be where you are and what you are doing. And we want to be led by you. So, God, I do just pray for us, um, pray for those in this room, Lord, that are seeking, that are confused. God, you are our shepherd, and so I pray that today we would hear your voice. Um, God, I pray that you would grow our faith, um, maybe those of us in the room, Lord, that just need to take the next step of faith, or that we would do that by your grace. God, we know that we are weak vessels. God, that we are broken um, but yet, that, that you use the things that are weak, or do you use the things that are stupid, that your um, strength and your wisdom and your glory and your power would be made known. And so, God, we just acknowledge, Lord, that this is your work. This is not our work. Um, and this is, you are building your church, God, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And so we just pray, Lord, that you... Um, would bring clarity to those that are confused. Lord, bring peace to those that are anxious. God, bring, um, yeah, bring about your will in our own lives, Lord. And, and I pray, Lord, that as we break to discuss, Lord, I pray that um, our conversations would be edifying and glorifying to you. God, I pray that you would use each of us in each other's lives. Um, I thank you, Lord, for... The fact that we don't have to do it alone, that we get to do it with each other, um, and how that brings you so much glory. We pray, Lord, that um, you would be honored and you would be glorified. And, God, we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well.